appreciate that. Um, well, good morning. Good morning, everyone. It's so good to be here. I'll try to do my American accent for you. Um, <laughs> I don't know what that is in America because depending on where you live, the accent is so strong in, in, in different places. Uh, Leon, thank you very much for this warm invite to come here. And uh, what a pleasure to be here this morning. I must confess to you that uh, I'm not a morning person, okay? And so um, I'm a bit tired, and if I fall asleep while I'm speaking, would you just let me sleep until I'm finished, okay? And uh, no, really, I'm not a morning person. I meet every Tuesday with a pastor in Cape Town, and we used to meet at 6.30. And after a couple months, I said, it's not working for me. Uh, I said, because I have to quickly down about two cups of coffee when I'm with you so we already lose a half an hour because I can't um, think straight, I can't talk straight but uh, I want you to know I got up a little earlier, I shoved some coffee uh, down my throat on the way here so uh, away we go but uh, I'm not a morning person and, uh, but that's okay, um, you can tell me later if I made any sense or not um, you know it really doesn't matter what age we are uh, what height we are what uh, personality or nationality are, what skin color we are, we are all in the same family. We're all brothers and sisters of Christ because of the one thing that brings us together, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? And listen, I want to tell you that around the world, people see what's going on in South Africa with this prayer movement, and people are in awe. Um, I don't think we can get that many Americans together for prayer. Uh, we talk a lot we don't do it and it really warms my heart to see what the Holy Spirit is doing in your country when it comes to prayer I mean it's it just blows me away that you guys I mean you just rally up and you see this as something that is very very important and the fact of the matter is it's one of the greatest ministries any Christian can have than anything else and Jesus is our example of the high priest and the, and the great intercessor. Amen? Amen? Listen, I want to start out by telling you a story. I want to tell you about a young man that I knew many years ago. Uh, this young man, he grew up in a, a pretty decent home. They, the family was all together. They did a lot of things together as a family. Uh, they grew up in a religious home. Uh, mom took the kids uh, to Mass every Sunday, and so they had religious upbringing. But it was about uh, the age of 13 that this young man, him and his brother, began to run around, run around with the, the wrong crowd, okay? And they started getting in trouble. Uh, it was at 13 years old that this young man began to experiment with alcohol. By the time he was 16, kids, close your eyes for a minute, close your eyes. About 16 years old, he got permission to uh, drop out of school, so he drove up to the high school. Uh, on his Harley Davidson and gave the vice principal the bird and took off thought he had the world by the tail. By the time he was uh, 17 years old, he was already in a street gang and um, he was standing before a judge in the court of law facing 17 years in prison for auto theft, burglary, and assault and battery. Now, by God's grace, he didn't end up in prison. Um, he was uh, monitored by a probation officer and a counselor and, uh, and then he got really smart and then he joined a motorcycle gang and his life then was part of, uh, very much part of uh, being in and out of jail a lot, 
uh, drugs, alcohol, perversion, violence, guns, all that kind of stuff. And it was quite a mess. And to make matters worse for this young man, then he was drafted towards the end of the Vietnam War. Uh, but because it was kind of close to the end, he ended up in Germany instead of Vietnam. Uh, his life of crime continued. He found himself in a military jail, and he was facing a special court-martial with the possibility of spending some time in the military prison in the U.S. called Leavenworth. While he was in Germany, people, uh, what he called at that time Jesus freaks, followers of Jesus, were speaking to him about his life. His life was so full of despair and hopelessness that he was contemplating suicide. But then after so many encounters with followers of Jesus, he thought to himself, maybe there's something about this Jesus thing, and my life is so messed up. Perhaps I will surrender my life to Jesus Christ. And that's what he did at a young age. He surrendered himself to Jesus Christ. And where there was hopelessness and despair, now there was joy and peace, and he had a lot of enthusiasm. You know that uh, young boy uh, that started out at 13 and that um, young man that came to Christ 44 years ago is the guy here that's standing before you speaking this morning. And you know, uh, many people would come to me after my conversion and they would say to me, David, how can you always compromise your safety, your health, and your freedom by the things that you do? You see, after I was converted, I went back to the bikers and I began to share with them about Jesus Christ. It wasn't the safest thing to do because they were very angry with me that I left. I mean, angry enough to really hurt me. But I went in the name of the Lord and I went in the boldness of God and still, uh, my legs were still shaking and uh, I didn't get beat up or anything. One of, my, one of the closest friends of mine and one of the darkest in, in, in sin became a Christian as well. And then some of the others really got touched but never really jumped in. And I'm still in contact with the former vice president of the bike club and we're, we're, we're slowly working. We led his wife to the Lord just before she died and he is very warm towards us but he hasn't jumped in yet. But why, why would I do that? Why would I go behind the Iron Curtain and smuggle Bibles with the possibility of getting thrown in prison? Why would I go and do some of the things that I do, and people would say, David, you, you always are putting yourself in compromising situations where you could be beat up, thrown in prison, and not, not prison this time is for the good, you know, before I was in because of the bad, but, 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 but you, you risk your life. Why? And my response is always, why not? You see, I serve the devil with passion. I risked my life my health and my freedom for years for Satan. Why can I not give that same passion back to the Lord? I'm not saying that every time I, I did those things, I was, I was so full of a, a, a boldness. Yeah, I had boldness, but my legs were shaking as well. But I went out to do what the Lord commanded me to do, and I was willing to sacrifice myself. I mean, many times risk my life for Satan. There was a time that there was a hit out on me. I don't, I don't know if you heard of the Hells Angels and the Outlaws that are some of the biggest gangs. Well, the, the Outlaws were one of our rival gangs and, and there was a hit out on me. 
every morning I would have to wake up and look underneath the car and underneath the hood for a bomb. But now I'm living for Jesus Christ. Why can I not go forward with the same passion? I want to give you two quotes this morning. Every man dies. Not every man truly lives. Think about that. Everybody will die. We're born to die. Every one of us in this room will die. But will we truly live? That statement comes from William Wallace from the Braveheart movie. But that is true. I know people in their 90s right now. They are about to die. I mean, eternity is around the corner for them. But some of these people that I know never truly lived. They never had the joy of coming into the kingdom of God. They never had the joy of having an abundant life. They never had the joy of leading somebody else to Jesus Christ. So all of us will die, but not all of us will truly live. And another quote I give to you this morning is this. If it's not worth dying for, is it really worth living for? If it's not worth dying for, is it really worth living for? Yes, I've been a believer for 44 years, but my, my ministry with Operation Mobilization didn't start until 1993. My wife and I began to raise our support, and then we headed off to Poland in Eastern Europe in 1994. And we served there for seven years, working mainly with the nationals in church planting projects, and that was a wonderful time for us and for our boys. But in 2001, we came back to the States. We landed in Denver, Colorado. And uh, we began to work with an OM regional office at that time, recruiting and mobilizing, sending out missionaries with OM International. But then the huge movement of the Dalits, better known as the Untouchables of India, started making a mass exit out of Hinduism into any faith that would take them outside of Hinduism. And Christianity was one of the choices. So in 2001, 2002, they were coming out by the thousands into the church of Jesus Christ. And so the church in India had a crisis. <laughs> we, they weren't ready for the masses. So we began to work with OM India that time. And it was a very thrilling time for us in those 13 years. But at the same time, while we were there, I was the missions pastor at a church. It was about... 1,800 people, so I, I was working for OM India. We birthed the Dali Freedom Network in Denver to, to serve the Dalits from the American side. So I was wearing the OM hat, the DFN hat, the missionary hat, and my wife started two businesses, and I was trying to help her, and, and I didn't know which hat sometimes I was wearing. I was kind of like schizophrenic, you know? And that's kind of like OM is too, because we're a mixed bag in OM. We're Presbyterians, we're Lutherans, we're Baptists, we're Pentecostal, we're charismatic, but we all work together under the umbrella of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so it was a wonderful time in Denver, Colorado, those 13 years. But then what we did after that, in 2014, we went to OM's headquarters in Atlanta, Georgia. We began to work out of that office and didn't last quite two years and realized that God was calling us to go back and live cross-culturally. Uh, our brother here said today he likes, you know, to meet people from other countries. Well, we do too, and, that, and it's a wonderful thing. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to see how God and his people live in other countries, their culture, their customs, their food, their mannerisms. Every time you go to a new culture, you start over again. I came here almost three years ago, and I started a baby again. You have to learn 
the system. You have to learn how things are going on so you don't make the mistakes, you don't become offensive. Uh, at least, for the most part, I can get away with speaking English <laughs> where in other countries you can't, right? Well, so we moved here in March of uh, 2016. And let me tell you uh, who, who was talking about spiritual warfare, my brother here. Listen, I worked in India for 13 years. And you know, in India, you have 330 million gods. I mean, wow, 330 million gods. And so you have a lot of spiritual warfare, a lot of spiritual warfare. And in 13 years, we experienced that. But I've experienced more spiritual warfare in the six months of coming to Cape Town than I had in all 13 years. Wow. Didn't expect that. I came here in 2009 on our 25th wedding anniversary, standing on the beach in, uh, 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 what is it, Camp? Camp Spay. Say, so how did I forget that? It's early in the morning. And, and I'm just, and, and I love palm trees. And, and, and we had, it was like dying and going to heaven. And, and then we moved here, and it was like the first couple months. It was like, wow. And then all hell broke loose. On spiritual warfare like I never experienced. And it's still going on today. And you know, the enemy, the enemy wants, wants the city, wants the country. And the more you guys as a nation pray, he fights harder. So the battle will always, always be there. Uh, my wife and I, um, Eileen, we've been married 36 years. It's a miracle she let me live this long. And if you knew me, <laughs> you would attest to that if you really knew me. Yes, we have three sons and seven grandchildren. And uh, we just had some pictures sent to us uh, yesterday. And uh, yeah, we miss them a lot. But we were just home for three months. We just came back with another three-year visa, so we're happy about that. Listen, in case you don't know anything about OM, let me just share a few things with you this morning. Operation Mobilization, or OM, as we're more commonly known as, started in 1957. A young man named George Verwer was uh, in high school in New Jersey, and there was a lady named Dorothy Clapp who put George on her hit list for prayer that God would uh, save this man, radically change him, and, and actually cause him and others to become missionaries. And that's what he did. And so he began to take uh, teams into Mexico. And in the 60s, they went on to Spain and Europe, and then our ocean-going ship. Uh, and then into the communist world, the Muslim world. By the way, today we have over 1,000 OMers in the Middle East working among Muslims. And that is really awesome. Um, and now we work in 120 different countries. We have about 6,800 full-time workers in our OM family. We're non-denominational, as I mentioned to you earlier. We're, we're a mixed bag. We got, you know, it's very interesting how when you go to a country, you learn new things. And, and when you rub shoulders with people from different faiths, do you know my theology or my American theology or thinking has readjusted so many times by, by hanging out with Indians and, and hanging out with people from different countries. And, and, and you realize, wait a minute, uh, I'm, not, I'm not reading from a, an American lens anymore. I'm not, I'm, I'm not. And, and things begin to change and how you were so strict on something that you believe in could be adjusted. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about there's certain things that you cannot change, you know? But then there's 
there's things that you thought or you, what you believe can be adjusted. And that's the beautiful thing about being in the body of Christ. And be, look at all these white faces. I see a couple of faces of color, but look at all these white faces. You know, this is the largest white face group that I've preached in or spoken since I've been in South Africa. I preach almost twice a month for almost three years. And it, it's all colored in black churches. And this, look at all these white people. I was beginning to wonder if white people really liked me since I come to South Africa, but you invited me, yeah. Okay, anyways. Um, any questions at this point? My wife and I um, happen to be the uh, leaders of the work in um, Cape Town at the, at the moment, and we have several different ministries. One of the ministries I will share with you, I would ask you, um, to forget everything I said and, and not repeat anything. But uh, we are busy working among Muslims at the moment. Um, in OM, our new mission statement is we want to see vibrant community of Jesus followers, especially among the least reached. So in OM International, we had to do a lot of tweaking and changing to, to come in line with the least reached. And uh, we have been busy for the last two and a half years working with uh, Somalis in the Belleville area. You haven't heard what I said? Please forget what I just said. And uh, very interesting how that came about. Um, here we are, just landed in Cape Town, and some Somali believers approached us in OM because they were one to the Lord through media from Somali believers in the UK. And they knew that we were here and put them in touch. And uh, our first couple months here, we were baptizing some Somali believers. Uh, and God has been really good. Uh, because there's, 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 a, uh, there's a gentleman that lives just outside of Belleville that heard that we were looking for a place for, to meet with some of the young. There were six young Somali believers that we wanted to walk a road with and do discipleship with. And this... Um, Big old Afrikaans, he, he heard about it and he called Bogani over and he, he said, I'm gonna need to talk to you. And um, what happened was, he heard that we were looking for a place. He went to his wife and he said to his wife, um, hey, we have this, we have this uh, room attached to our house. Would you be open to have some uh, former Muslims come and be discipled? And she said, you get them here. And he was like, what is all, you get them here. What's that all about? She had a dream. And the Lord showed her that her home was going to be used to help disciple Muslims, former Muslims. And so we've been using that place now for about a year and a half, and it's been wonderful. And we just have a young Somali uh, lady that has come into the fold that's being discipled. So this is really awesome. And now... We, just to let you know that, okay, so we have that work going on and I have some guys that are running that. I'm not, I oversee it, but I'm not in the day-to-day -day functions. Yes? I'm sorry? Wow. Thank you. Thank you. So you guys already know about it. Let me just move on to the next thing then. Okay. <laughs> So, um, 
But my wife now is the director of our Chanawa Center down on Long Street, right on the corner of Long Street and Long Market. We have a center down there, and um, it's uh, called Chanawa, which in Swahili means thrive, and the whole thing is to have people thrive practically and spiritually. So we are busy down there with uh, practical things that is, that is going on, and what is happening right now is um, the practical side of it, my wife has run tailoring classes to, to train people to uh, the sew. Uh, one of our young ladies that was trained out of the group, she went on to professional schooling. Uh, she is getting into her own business, so now she is returning this month to start a sewing class because she said, I want to give back to OM for what you did for me. And so she's getting off the green market and starting her own business now. She's training other people. So my wife has that going on. English classes, business classes, traffic-wise, healthy hearts, doing crafts with some of the ladies of the night. Uh, because on the spiritual side, we have an outreach every Friday night from 10 o'clock until almost 1 o'clock in the morning among the prostitutes. Uh, in the year and a half that we've been involved, my wife uh, and the ministry going out there have seen 18 ladies come out of the trade in the last year and a half. This is totally awesome. Uh, yeah. All the glory goes to the Lord. Um, so we, we have, um, my wife had the vision during the winter months to have a cafe at our center to get the ladies uh, once a month to get the ladies off the street come up for some hot coffee and tea and a meal. And our first time, we didn't know if anybody would come up. We had 22 ladies of the night up there. And uh, this last time, we had 11. So it, it varies. But once a month, they come up. We're building a relationship. Do you know something? And, 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 and I want to say something, too, about the English class, because half the class is Muslims. Do you know we've been in, involved in discipleship with these Muslims? We've been discipling these prostitutes. I think it's okay to belong before you believe. And I think discipleship starts before they actually make the commitment. Because you think about it, one of the disciples actually become Christians. And the Lord Jesus was discipling them all along. And so we've been discipling these Muslims. And so in my, in my wife's English class, what she does was, she tells them every new uh, student, if they're a Muslim, we're followers of Jesus, do you have a problem with that? No. Okay. And, and what we're going to do is we're going to use the gospel of Luke, or she used the gospel of John or whatever, and... and we're going to tell a story. And the purpose of the story is comprehension skills. We want you to listen to the story because I'm going to ask you questions. It's, it's, it's really wise the way she does that. And now they're using the Jesus video and they show a story and then they talk about the story. And then they go on to the regular English class. Listen, this is opening up a door to have friendship with nine Muslims where they're coming to our house for a meal. We're going to their house. We're going to their businesses. And we're talking to them about Jesus, and they're asking questions. The seeds are being planted. We are doing discipleship before they actually believe, and it's totally awesome what, what God is doing. And so we have a church down there on Sundays. Um, we have various seminar training, you know, how to love your Muslim neighbors, reach out to them, uh, different things with discipleship um, and prayer and intercession. Um, so any, any questions up to that point, up to this point? Yes. Yeah.
what we are doing right now is we have been busy about the English class and we've just started going up to the Bokop area, okay? And what we have done, like we've done in the green market when we started the uh, sewing classes, computer classes, we take a piece of paper, we have a survey. We're asking, we're trying to find out what the interest is. But up in Bokop, it gave us an opportunity to engage with people, okay? So we'd go up there and we would ask questions, you know, if we, if we started a sewing class or a computer class or, you know, you know we'd ask questions. People told me for the first year I was here, don't go up there because there will be no positive response. Actually, since I've been here, I've, I've had four things. It won't work, it won't work, it won't work. When somebody, tell, when somebody tells me it won't work, I, then I, I just jump into it and see. I, I want to see. But all four things have worked. So don't go up there because they, they won't receive you. The first time we went up there, we were invited into so many homes. And we're praying for people, and we're praying for people in Jesus' name. We, we were in a home, okay, you see the, all the Arabic and the Mecca and everything, and they're very serious Muslims. And, and then I'm talking to a gentleman that might be interested in coming to one of our business classes. We're using that as well. And I'll come to the children in a minute. So, so what we were doing is, we, we were going in there doing a survey, but the first time we went up into, we went higher up in Bokop, you know, where there was a little bit more uh, lesser economic situation, the poorer up there. And, and I was walking in, and this Muslim lady came out of the apartment. She goes, who are you looking for? And I just smiled, and I said, nobody in particular. She said, why don't you come on in then? I was with one of our, with one of our sisters. And so we came in, and we're sitting at her table, and she's talking to us. Quite open, you know, refreshments. I thought, wow, it won't work, but this is our first home. Then we're in another home, and, 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 and the mother just came back from the mosque. She said, be careful out there because the roads aren't even. I just fell and hurt myself. I said, would you mind if I pray for you? She goes, no, that'd be great. And so I put my hand on her shoulder and she moved my hand where the pain was because she wanted to make sure her shoulder, you know, the, my hand was... Muttered. And I, I prayed and ended in Jesus' name. She said, thank you, thank you. And I will tell you, we've been up there off and on for prayer. We just went up there a week ago. We had a team in from, from the U.S. and we went up and we delivered Jesus videos. Jesus, I did that in Bradford, England among the Pakistanians. We went and just gave... You know, they like Jesus. So we use Jesus as a common denominator to, to speak. We tell them we're a follower of Jesus. But we went up to the schools up there. We went up to the crash up there. And we went and we took our flyers for traffic-wise. That's where we're coming in with the children now. Traffic-wise to, to, to let the public know up there that, hey, uh, you know, we work among uh, some of the Nigerian prostitutes that have been trafficked. And so we're, we're going to have a seminar now, November 10th, on, 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 on the dangers of, of traffic being trafficked. And so, so they're asking us, okay, we will come to your place, but could you come to our school so we can have the kids there too and you can talk to the teachers, the parents, and the children. So an open door. And, 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 and we have not found one negative Muslim person up there as long as we come in love and we come in the name of Jesus. They don't have a problem. So it is wide open. I mean, it's not, when we go into Belleville, we have to be a little bit wiser, a little bit more protective. But in the greater Cape Town area, it's wide open. I talk everything. We, we, we're followers of Jesus, and we just get on with it. And, and it's wonderful. And so, yeah, children is, 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 is uh, a way to uh, engage with the greater Muslim population. Yeah, yeah, good question. Good question. Any other questions? Yes. 
Yeah, so, <clears throat> so we're right on Long Street, and, and so we, we, we pray a lot. We're praying every Friday night. When the outreach is going on, we have intercessors up there. And so we're praying for the city, you know, for all the vices of the city, corruption and lust and prostitution and drugs, gangsterism. I would say everyone that is associated with us, every ministry, the first year we took so many hits physically. I'm talking major sickness and broken arms and pneumonia and everything. Sickness was hit. And then there was all kinds of other things that were coming, you know, and, and our guys working with the Muslims in, in Belleville with, with uh, just constant tiredness, uh, the ladies' bad dreams. I mean, things were coming at us, and we were praying against um, the spirit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the false teachings of Islam and praying over the mosque, praying for dreams and visions with, with, with uh, uh, some of the imams. And I'll tell you what, there was just a lot of stuff that happened to us that normally it did not happen that we would have to keep going in and, and pressing in on our knees. The enemy tried to bring in even tension within our own teams, tension within our own marriages. I mean, there was things that was happening that never happened before, and it was just like, and it was systematic. It wasn't just a one hit off. It was like the devil was wearing us down like this, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There is more Muslims that said that there's more Muslims that come into faith in the last 10 years than all of church history. And the people that I know that are working in different countries, you're seeing an openness. You're seeing an openness. I have a good friend called Carl Medeiros. I don't know if anybody knows Carl, but Carl uh, works a lot in the Middle East and he has a lot of inroads with the different princes and things like that. Uh, and he actually had time with the leader of Hamas, you know, the terrorist organization. And, uh, you know, and, and the leader of Hamas was in a meeting when he was a part of, with a bunch of Muslims, uh, studying the gospel of Luke. And he said afterwards, can you come to my office? And he said, I felt like I was going to the principal's office. And for two hours they talked. And then Carl said, would you mind if I pray for you? And he said, absolutely, I'd be stupid not to accept prayer. And he ended it in Jesus' name. And then he said, can you, can you come back and talk to, to my group? These are terrorist people. Can you come in back and talk to my group? And, and, and so he came back and he said, but would you do that thing at the end? And he said, what thing is that? You, you know, you did this prayer thing and then you ended with that thing. And what thing was that? You know, in Jesus' name. He said, because that made me cry. And Carl said, what, you want me to make you cry? He goes, no, I don't want, but, but that made me feel warm inside. Could you do that? You know? And so in India, one of our leaders for OM, all of South India, he was a Dali and his buddy was a Dali. Kumar went to Christianity, his buddy went to Islam. This was a few years, maybe five years ago. He, he asked Kumar, could you come and talk to my Muslim friends how this Jesus thing really 
empowered you and helped you rise up. He thought there would be 5,000. He came, there was 100,000 Muslims. And he was sharing what Jesus Christ did to him. And when he first came to the Lord and what, what happened over the years, every time he shared, 100,000 Muslims getting up and clapping and cheering. I mean, and Kumar, would you come back every month and share that? Listen, Muslims are open. Uh, in America, most Americans are afraid of Muslims. We think of 9-11, every Muslim's a terrorist. Uh, I, I, where I bank back at home, most of the people in there are from Middle Eastern countries. So when my sister did some banking for me recently, she said, don't you feel dangerous in there? You know, and, and the guy that I, I'm working with, he, he, he's, a, he, he's, a, he's a, a strong Muslim guy, but, you know, God has used us to, to reach out to him. We gave him the book, you know, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, and, and we're praying for him and everything else. But I told my sister, don't worry about it. You'll get in the bank. I don't know if you ever get out. You know, and, kinda, and it was a little joke, but I said, no, no, it's, it, it's okay, it's okay. Listen, in Cape Town, outside of Belleville, I would say interact with Muslims. My neighbor guy is a Muslim. At the guest house across the street, we use her to put our teams in there. She just came back from Mecca. What did my wife and I do when she got back from Mecca? We said, come on over. Let's have some tea and cookies. And you tell us about your experience in Mecca. And she's telling her experience. And well, she has a bad knee, so she had to go around on the wheelchair. And she couldn't complete everything. I said, oh, only half your sins were forgiven then because you didn't. And, and, and you got to do. So I used my humor. She is so, um, she's so excited about having a relationship with us that when she sells the guest house, she said, would you guys buy it? Because I want moral people. I want good people in there. And the guy next door, he does some work on our house. And I, I, I just yesterday, he was over putting some bars on our windows and I, and I brought the Quran out. I said, I got a few questions in the Quran. And I just want to, you know, I'm reading the Quran. He goes, oh, you're reading the Quran? I said, yeah, I got many Muslim friends. And, you know, I got to read the Quran. Some of my Muslim friends are reading the Angel with me, the, the New Testament or the Gospels. So listen, I would encourage you. Actually, I kind of had a three-point little message I wanted to give, but we're out of time. So invite me back and I'll, I'll share that. No, 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 no. So what time is it now? I find it's easier for me to engage in a conversation with a Muslim than anyone else. Anyone else, by far. I am surprised. Now, I never talked to a Muslim before, and then my son around 2006 is going with YWAM to Perth, Australia, and he's doing his outreach to Cairo, Egypt. And I said to him, this is after 9-11, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm always preaching about go out there and risk your life. And then I told my son, hey, you know, all you Westerners, Americans, Canadians, Germans, maybe you shouldn't go to Cairo, Egypt. Dad, would you always tell me the safest place is in the center of God's will? Okay, I release you. But he came back and he gave me a report. The same report that Carl Madeir is speaking in our church about how warm Muslims are, people of hospitality. So I never spoke to a Muslim before, and I didn't want to lead up the trip to Bradford, England. I had no desire to go to England, but I tried to get the missionaries off my back. So I got a team together, and I couldn't find a leader, so I had to lead it up. And so that was my first time interacting with Muslims. We were in the mosque. 
we were in a restaurant and, and the imams and all the leaders were around this table and we we're in an Arab place. We ate like crazy. And they said, here's the deal. These are the rules. There are no rules. Everything on the table. Suicide bombing. Well, you guys ask us everything you want. We'll tell you how it was coming to America after 9-11, et cetera, et cetera. And we threw everything out. So when I got back to America, I called the imam up in the Denver mosque. And I said, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm the missions pastor at our church. And most of my people on the mission team don't know anything about Islam. Can we come and would you take us around? Give us a tour. Absolutely come. And at the end, see, this is where you throw a little seed. At the end, we're talking, and he said to us, well, nobody really knows, do they, if they'll ever get into paradise. And one of our sisters went, <gasps> and he looked, and she said, uh, I really feel so bad for you because in our faith, we have assurance and a guarantee. And he was starting to cry, and when we left, he hugged us and said, thank you for coming. And spending time with me. So we find that Muslims are warm. And if you get to know them, hanging out with them. We just told our neighbors yesterday, we're having a get-together next week. And, and the only ones that are invited to our house, not on purpose, it happens to be Muslims. And I am right now talking to a Muslim that has a coffee shop on Long Street. And what we're doing is... He's come to my wife's English class for so long, and now he's pretty good, and he has businesses going on. So I went in the other day and said, guess what I did, Hanum? He said, what? I just spent the last hour studying the Quran. He goes, really? I said, yeah. And I would like to start meeting with you and having the Quran and the Bible. And this is how it starts slowly, slowly. I want to encourage you if, you, if you don't know a Muslim, find a Muslim. Start to talk to him, and you will find out. I don't say I'm a Christian. I don't want to say I'm an American and, 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 a, and a Christian. There's those two things sometimes that Muslims aren't good, but I say I'm a follower of Jesus. I love Jesus. I'm passionate about Jesus. And I've never had a negative response, and this is in so many different countries, and it, for so many years, never one. I'm not, I'm not saying it won't happen, because just up in Bokop, the first group we talked to, the man was sitting there goes, and he's smoking a cigarette, and he goes, we're all Muslims up here. I said, that's really cool. That's really cool. And we're followers of Jesus. So we're kind of, uh, I said, well, you're not that passionate because you're smoking. No, I didn't say that to him. But here's what he said to me. It was, you know, when it was so hot here, you know, just last week it was blazing. First thing he said was, can I get you a cold drink of water? And the next one went to, can I get you a cold drink of water? Um, I never got to my message, so you'll have to invite me back another time. But um, and it's a progressive thing where God takes us from a child of God and brings us to a place where he wants us to be at a place where we can actually engage the enemy uh, and extend his kingdom. We go from a child of God to a son of God to a warrior of God. But many of us get tripped up where it's the son of God. We get tripped up and we just, we don't get to where we need to be to really engage. And that's why I find in the Western church, and I can really speak for America, we have way too many hearers of the word and not enough doers. And there's different reasons why. And, and so my message would have been child of God, son of God, warrior of God, and how God takes us through a natural process to bring us to that place where we can really uh, be a true warrior and do damage against the kingdom of darkness. Anyways, I don't know if I made any sense. I think I'll start to wake up after my next cup of coffee. I thank all of you for letting me come here. And I guess 
if, if the last thing I can leave with you, okay, when, in America when I share, people say, what are you doing? I said, if you forget everything I do, here's, here. Dave and Eileen are involved in hanging out with prostitutes and Muslims. And we've always been comfortable. When I was in, in OMUSA, I interfaced with a lot of pastors. I went to a lot of offices, plush offices, and it really, for me, it kind of sucked because I'm more comfortable being around non-Christians. I don't want that to sound weird to you, but that's how God wired me to reach out. And so I'm in with pastors, and I'm telling the pastor, hey, you're a great guy, but... And, 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 and OMUSA knew that we were eventually going to take off, and they said, well... Um, Okay, and they launched this out. Anyways, thank you.